The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanaka's Fakata, Jag like Michael Waka, Polanco and Franco. Kokomo Friday and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today presented by Line and Kugels. More on their great variety of beverages later on in the podcast. First and foremost, happy Memorial Day weekend as well. Just want to thank those men and women who have served and continue to serve this country. Our sincerest thank you from all of us here at CBS Sports. Frank Stanfield joined by Scotty Dubs, Scott White, and we'll get to the mountain, Alec Manoa. Week 10 sleepers, two-star pitchers, fantasy fun facts, your Apple podcast review questions, and much, much more. But first, what do we have here? That's right. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. I will be drinking a Line and Kugel Summer Shandy all podcast long. So, Scott, feel free to take the reins today. This is your podcast. <laughs> okay. Way to throw it to me. Totally unprepared. <laughs> How you doing, Scott? Scott is fired up because we were talking beforehand and he's ranting about stuff and he got the wheels turning. I, I think we have to come up with a new segment where we just have Scott's rants. I'll come up with you know a more creative name for it, obviously, hopefully. But Scott's fired up and I like this. I like this side of Scott. Angry Scott. Let's go. Oh, I am just raging today, Frank. <laughs> just raging. No taking it easy on this Kokomo Friday. Uh, we haven't had the voice changer in a while, which just earned us at least five emails over the weekend. This guy is not worthy of Oh My Goodness Gracious. He's better than Oh My Goodness Gracious. We're starting off with The Mountain. That's right. I am dubbing Alec Manoa The Mountain. You've seen Game of Thrones. doesn't matter. Alec Manoa, the, the Mountain looks up to Alec Manoa. This guy is a hulking human being, and he dazzled in his First professional start against the New York Yankees. Debut in Yankee Stadium. Six shutout. Two hits. Two walks. Seven strikeouts. 13 swinging strikes on 88 pitches. Scott, what did you see from Alec Manoa? And is he... I, this roster rate has to be 100%, right? Because he's right around 73 74%. I, I think it needs to be 100%. Yeah, he looked really good. Really and he good. looked really good. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He used all four of his pitches. The one he used the least, he still used 15% of the time. That's that, that shows a lot of polish for a guy just making his major league debut. And after only nine minor league starts in his you know, entire minor league career, the spin rate on his fastball was great. His control, he threw 68% of his pitches were strikes. It's also very impressive to see from a guy in his major league debut, only two hits allowed. Uh, 13 swinging strikes on 88 pitches. I mean, you know. That's fine. That's a good number. But I, I think with that four-pitch arsenal and the fact that the fastball itself is such a good swing and miss pitch, I mean, that's that, that's not going to be a problem for him. He's going to miss plenty of bats. He just looked so much movement on all the pitches. Like He, just, he looked really, really good. And I, I, I can't... There's nothing negative I can say about him. I mean, this is, this is how he looked in spring training. This is how he was looking at AAA. He just seems like... He's ready to take off here, and his second major league start next week is going to be against Miami. So, you know, it seems like a good, seems like you might want to go ahead and get him active right away, in addition to picking him up wherever he's still available. You know, the, the only negative I can say about Manoa is that because of that lack of experience, are we, are we going to see him go in six innings, 
still in September? Like at, at what point are they going to have to do something about those innings? But not the time to worry about that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. We'll worry about it the closer we get to that point. If there comes a time in the season where we see a sell-high window opportunity to uh, trade Alec Manoa in redraft leagues, in keeper or dynasty, I think you're going to want to hold on to this guy because he looks pretty damn good. His first two strikeouts came against Rugnet Odor, a changeup, which is supposed to be his third pitch. It looked like, I don't want to overstate this or anything, but it looked like a really, really good changeup. Not like, okay, the best changeup in the league, but it was a really good changeup. And then his second strikeout came against Aaron Judge, where the ball was already in the glove before Aaron Judge even swung at it. So 94.9 miles per hour on the fastball for Alec Manoa. Plays up a little bit because he's got that extension. He's six foot foot six. Um, Really liked what I saw there. Can't say anything bad about it. Like you said, Scott, uh, he only allowed two hard hit balls all day in the start against the Yankees. If you are playing in a league where he is still available and there is fab in a 12 team league, Scott, what Mm -hmm. are we thinking? And then versus a 15 teamer, because I play in a few 15 team leagues where he's available and I was talking to someone today. I think he's going to go for like over 30% of fab budgets. I Mm -hmm. I think people are just going to clear it out for him. Yeah, I would. I would. I'd probably go 35% if he was still available. I might go and just in case somebody, I, 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 so like a, a league with a thousand dollar budget, like uh, like Tower Wars, like TGFBI have mm-hmm. three sixty seven. It's gonna be my bid. I always go seventeen dollars more when it's a big bid like that. Okay, just to you know keep it random. Okay, but so uh, it's not random because it's the same thing every time, and it's not random because I just told everybody. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, shallower league. I, I mean, there are a lot of other considerations here. Obviously, is it is it daily fab? Is it zero dollars zero dollar bids or something or, or do you have to do you have to save a dollar for every transaction you plan on making for the rest of the season because a minimum one dollar bid you know if, it, if it's weekly you end up having to bid more because you know everybody's tuned in that one day a week and and they're all competing so before this start we, we were talking like 20 percent of the budget right yeah do you go higher in shallower leagues than than 15 team leagues or do you go lower i i would assume lower than what you were just saying i i would be willing to spend that much in a deeper league like 15 teams are deeper or if you're playing some kind of al only you're going to be want want to be really aggressive over 30 percent of your fab budget but i think in a 12 team league 20 to 25 percent i i think that's fair yeah the case for going even higher in a shallower league is there are going to be fewer pickups that literally everybody in the league is in on just because they're, they're, you know, 15 team leagues when somebody's legitimately good and emerges on waiver wire, like, you know, like, like moss to the flame, the whole, the whole league. Um, so you, there's a definite bidding war there, but there's going to be a bidding war for Manoa, no matter what league you're in, but there are fewer bidding wars in general and shallower leagues. Cause Obviously, there are more good players to go around. So that would be the case for going like 40% or something if you had a lot of fab dollars left and uh, you just really wanted to, to win him. But, you know, I, I could see it both ways. I could see going like 25%. The man was awesome. The man, the myth, the mountain, Alec Manoa. But there was actually more games on Thursday outside of just the Yankees and Blue Jays. So let's get to it. Oh, my good goodness gracious. All right, Scott, where do you want to start? One of your other standouts from Thursday. Dylan Cease. Let's do yes. it. Yes. There's no stopping Dylan Cease. He had the start I'd been waiting for him to see. You know, and I'd, I'd been pointing out the spin rate was way up on all of his pitches, fastball and slider especially. Like the best spin rate in baseball, more or less, on those two pitches. And it, he had 220 swinging strike efforts where the final result wasn't that good. I mean, 20 swinging strikes. You don't see that very often except from like the Jacob DeGrom class of starting pitchers. Well, today against the Orioles, I acknowledge it's the Orioles, but they're not, they're not as far down. Like at least, Team OPS, they're not as far down as you think. But anyway, against the Orioles today, Dylan Cease struck out 10 in six innings, allowed one run, 29 swinging strikes. I don't know if that's like, the highest single game total for anyone this season. I want to say somebody broke 30 at some point, but it equals Jacob DeGrom season high, 29 swinging strikes. 
And Dylan Cease just did it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I said it a couple of days ago when we were talking a dynasty context. Buy him now because he's about to take off. Still looks like he's about to take off. Two starts next week for Dylan Cease at Cleveland versus Detroit. Oh my, that so is that, that is tasty. Yeah. It, there, may, there may be no looking back after those two starts for Cease. Yeah, the ERA is down to 2.98, and you might still have a buying opportunity, which sounds weird considering the start that he just had because someone might look at the underlying number, Scott, and they'll say, oh, but he has a 4.04 XFIP, which, okay, you can, we should mention that because he is a fly ball pitcher. He tends to lean towards fly balls when people make contact against him, which hasn't been often recently. And his home run to fly ball ratio was just 6.5% coming into this start. So, you have to assume he's going to allow more home runs as the season goes along, pitching in Chicago, which is more of a hitter's park, as the weather heats up. But he is you can't take away the fact that he is getting swings and misses at this phenomenal rate. Over his last five starts, entering this one, Scott, he had a 16.8% swinging strike rate, which if that was the entire season, he would rank top five among qualified mm-hmm. starting pitchers. So Dylan Cease is on another level right now. Spin rates are up, as you have continuously talked about. And I, Continuously. I think, you, can't, you can't stop me from saying it. <laughs> can't stop Scott. I don't know the next words there, but uh, yeah. I don't, know where you were, I don't know what you were even doing. That's from uh, Shaun of the Dead. Can't stop me now. Oh, yeah. It's a great song. Uh, all right, so yeah, Dylan Cease. I mean, look, continue buy him, buy high if you can. If someone else in your league is not valuing him the same way that we are, which is inside of our top fifty starting pitchers now, Scott. I believe, uh, believe we've all made that that upgrade. So uh, yeah, Dylan Cease is awesome for me. I wanted to highlight Pablo Lopez, who was up against the Phillies, and he allowed two runs with only five strikeouts over seven innings pitched, only nine swinging strikes on ninety-two pitches. However, He threw five different pitches at least 13% of the time in this start. And coming into the season, he was talking about throwing more breaking pitches. He didn't really say which one, if it was his cutter or his curveball. But in this start, 20% cutters and 16% curveballs. Those were both season highs for Pablo Lopez, and he's coming off back-to-back seven-inning starts. The ERA is down to 2.71. He's got a 1.13 whip does come with a 3.69 xFIP, so I'm, I'm not expecting Pablo Lopez to pitch to a sub-3 ERA for the rest of the season, but I, I thought it was encouraging, Scott, that he's giving you more length recently, he's giving you more volume in terms of innings, and he actually is throwing these breaking pitches more, so I really like that from his Thursday start. Yeah, I mean, he feels Aaron Savali-like to me, which I don't mean in a good way, but you can <laughs> interpret it in a good way if you want to. You know, below-average strikeout pitcher, but good enough in other areas that you're probably going to be glad you have him and are starting him. Before we get to everything else on this podcast today, Scott, can we just talk about this Javier Baez play? Because oh yes, should I should I page Chris Tower? Should I get him on the uh, podcast so that no, because we'll just fight. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was fine. We were arguing about it on Twitter earlier. Um, it was yeah. wild. I, look. It was one of the dumbest plays that I've ever seen in my life, but it was uh-huh. also highly entertaining because oh, yeah. a lot of things that Javier Baez does and he's a part of are entertaining and they're very good for the game of baseball. I love the fact that obviously he gets, in, if anyone hasn't seen it, Javier Baez, normal routine ground out. I believe there's two outs in the inning and yes, running that's, the f- a, that's an important detail. There are two outs in the inning. I'm not sure anybody who participated in the play knew there were two outs in the inning. But yes, he's running to first base. They throw it over to first base. He just starts running backwards and he gets caught in a rundown between home and first, which I have never seen in my life in baseball. There was a runner. There was a runner on second. It was Wilson Contreras. While all this is happening, Wilson Contreras comes all the way around and scores at home plate while this rundown is going on between home and first. He crossed home plate. He hadn't scored yet. Yeah. There's another crew like. In order for that to count as something, Javier Baez has to get to first base. He's, he hasn't made it to first base yet. Okay. So he's crossed home plate. He hasn't scored yet, Wilson Contreras. But continue. Uh, well, what else would you like to say about it? Because I, I feel like that's at, like, okay, Wilson well, Contreras crosses okay. home plate and then they throw the ball to, I believe it's Will Craig who's playing first base for the Pirates. Yeah. He throws the Will ball Craig. home uh, and, and then they try to tag Wilson Contreras out at the plate. 
Javier Baez is making a safe sign all the while, like he's playing umpire. <laughs> then he starts running to first base. Which again, he wasn't safe. Like it wasn't a run yet. And Javier Baez is just standing there, having not reached first base yet, making the safe call. Um, and it, no one was covering first base at that point. So he runs yeah. to first, they throw it to first, it gets past okay. first, and then he winds up on second base. So I don't know if I could, okay. did a good job breaking down the play. If you haven't seen it, well, please go out and watch it while we're talking about it here. Yes, uh, but Scott, I will, is, I will let you give your take on it. It is a play that will be replayed for a very long time because <laughs> it was... Uh, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I'm saying this. It, it, was, it was the worst play I've ever seen. It was... The first baseman forgot there was a force out on first base at first base on a ground out. The guy playing first base forgot that on a ground ball to the in, uh, on the infield, there is always a force out at first base. Like the reason you've never seen a rundown between home plate and first base is because there's always a force out at first base. I'm rewatching like, no the play reason now. For it. There's nothing to gain by retreating to home plate for Javier Baez, especially since. You know, Will Craig wasn't the one who fielded the grounder himself. It's not like he was way off first base. The throw was a little off, so he caught it standing right next to first base. He steps on it. The inning's over. Instead, he decides to chase Javier Baez back to home plate, which, okay, maybe you know heat of the moment. He just sees he just sees a moving target. He has to chase it. You you can you can forgive the initial brain cramp, but still, considering there were two outs. All that matters is that Javier Baez doesn't get to first base. It doesn't matter what Wilson Contreras is doing. As I stressed, the run will not count if Javier Baez never makes it to first base, which is why it was ridiculous that Javier Baez is standing there making the safe call when he hasn't gotten to first base yet. <laughs> I'm rewatching so, the play now. It's hilarious. It's Will Craig... <laughs> So Will Craig catches the ball right next to first base. Javier Baez retreats for no good reason. Uh, but Will Craig decides to chase him for no good reason. He chases him back to the plate, basically. At that point, Wilson Contreras is about to cross, and the catcher is, is signaling for Will Craig to throw him the ball. Again, it doesn't matter. You just can't let Javier Baez get to first base. But for some reason, Will Craig obliges, throws the catcher the ball. He tries to tag the runner. He can't. You know, runner crosses the plate. Javier Baez gives the safe sign. <laughs> That's the best but part then, of the play. But now Javier Baez has, has a clear path to first base and nobody's covering it. So the catcher throws the ball into right field. And of course, Javier Baez makes it to first base safely. He decides halfway down the baseline. Oh shoot! Why am I chasing Javier Baez? I got an easy. <laughs> There's a force out at first base. He could just sit down in the base path and wait for Javier Baez to. Javier Baez has to make his way back to first base eventually. Like the only thing Will Craig can't do in that moment is throw away. It is is throw the baseball. I think when you're caught in the heat of the moment, though, Scott, which is something that we are not really taking into account. When you're playing a game and like the adrenaline's rushing, it's it's hard to actually just stop and think about what you're actually doing, right? So in that instance, everything that you're saying is correct. He could have just stopped and sat down. He could have just stepped on the base, anything. But I can see why in the heat of the moment, and it was a great heads-up play by Javier Baez because how often you've never seen someone stop running to first base and just run back the other way. No, that's my argument. It wasn't. You never see it because there's no point. It's a zero probability play. But the throw to first base did pull Will Craig off the bag. He easily still could have gone back and stepped on it. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. He just has to step over. But usually like, when that happens, when they're pulled off the bag, they do try to go and just tag the runner. That's what they... Typically, you, you okay. see that a lot. When and, first base is pulled and off... I said, I'll, I'll grant the initial mistake of pursuing the moving target. Okay. I can understand he had a brain cramp there, but this was, this, this was such a slow developing play that at some point he has to realize, Oh, this is stupid. I should just head back to first base. You're right about that. Or his teammate, the catcher should be pointing to first, like everybody uh, bias himself um, thinking the runner is safe, it's like he forgot there were two outs too. It, it was <laughs> that is the best was... part of the play. I just rewatched it five times. <laughs> Javier Baez just standing there in like right next to home plate, 
making a safe signal. It was just, it was hilarious. But we've already spent way too much time on this, Scott, uh, about five or six minutes here. But uh, I, I do appreciate the rant. Is there anything else you got to get off your chest? There was, but now I forgot it. I All guess right. we'll have to move on. There, there was, there was another key issue I wanted to bring up. If I, if I think of it, I'll, I'll just interrupt and, and go back to it. All right. Well, that is, uh, that, that's fair. Before we get to news and notes, just wanted to let you know about what's going on at CBS Sports HQ. As always, CBS Sports HQ is the network to start your sports news day at 8 a.m. Eastern with morning buzz, an hour of highlights, news, and all the days need to know. And come back or leave us on all day at 6 p.m. where we break down all the night's action and release dozens of picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world. You watched all our coverage for the Europa League final on Wednesday, and we have the oh-so-coveted Champions League final this Saturday after the match concludes. Don't leave the app as HQ will have extended coverage breaking it all down with the best soccer minds out there. Like I said, go to your Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, really most connected TVs, and look for the CBS Sports app. Fire it up and check out HQ and heck, tell us what you think about it on Twitter. Some news and notes from Thursday. Shohei Otani was scratched from his pitching start on Thursday because he was delayed getting to the stadium. There was a transportation issue. He remained in the lineup as the DH and will be starting uh, as the pitcher on Friday. Trevor Story left Thursday with arm tightness. He's considered day to day. Trey Mancini was diagnosed with a bruised elbow after a hit by pitch. Noah Syndergaard mentioned yesterday that he left his most recent rehab start with elbow soreness. He is now shut down six weeks due to right elbow inflammation. So really bad news there for Syndergaard if you were stashing him. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you have your IL stash ranking coming out again soon, but I would have to imagine Noah Syndergaard moves pretty far down that list. Nobody who goes on the IL comes off the IL, Frank. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. That's the way this goes. Actually, That's the way the season is going. I have an interesting note on the IL too, which I will bring up in just a little bit. Uh, Austin Nola is going to the IL with a knee sprain. Miguel Rojas is, was placed on the IL with a dislocated finger. Michael Kopech was placed on the bereavement list. Stalling Marte could be activated for the Marlins weekend series. Uh, Aaron Hicks is expected to miss the remainder of the season. Esteban Floreal was promoted. I don't know if I could bring it up because every time I do, Scott yells at me. Why are you bringing up Esteban (laughs) Floreal? He did go one for three with a a double, his first career hit in the majors. Ah, uh, good for him. In game two of the doubleheader. Yesterday, we said Corey Kluber would be out at least one month. It turns out he'll be out at least two months with that shoulder strain. Tony Gonsolin likely needs two more rehab starts at AAA. He fired three shutout in his first start. Uh, Taiwan Walker will return on Friday and start against the Braves. Tyler O'Neill was activated for the Cardinals. Wade Miley will return Sunday and start against the Cubs. Danny Duffy remains in shutdown mode after being diagnosed with a left flexor strain a few weeks back. Tristan McKenzie was sent back down to AAA after Wednesday night's start. And I mentioned I have an IL note. If you were wondering just how much injuries are up this season, I saw a great tweet from Derek Rhodes from Baseball Prospectus. You can give him a follow on Twitter at D-R-H-O-A-3. He pointed out via a line graph, he does great work with uh, with injuries, that IL placements are up 30% this season compared to this point back in 2019. So basically by the end of May, IL placements are up 30% this year, and that does not include COVID IL. So that is just <laughs> a massive amount because when you actually factor in the COVID as, as well, I mean, we're probably yeah, looking... Yeah, guys will go on that for a day sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's true um, because of the vaccine and stuff. But it's if you want an actual number, there it is. 30% injuries mm-hmm. are up so far this season. Some prospect updates. I, I, I do want to mention on Corey Kluber, the reason that changed from one month to two months is he, he's going to be reevaluated in one month, but the second month is uh, presuming a, a rehab stint. Mm-hmm. Which so that's, makes sense. Yeah. And that would bring us to uh, the end of July, early August. So maybe we can get the final two months out of Corey Kluber, which he was pitching very well. So uh, hopefully it happens. Some prospect updates. Nate Pearson's latest start. Not great. Three innings pitch, four earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. I was talking to Scott beforehand. And in his Dynasty League, I traded a $31 Julio Arias. This is a 24-team head-to-head points league. A uh, $31 Julio Arias for a $5 Nate Pearson earlier in the season. And uh, 
I kind of hate myself for it. So there you go. Wander Franco is batting 277 with three homers and three steals with an 845 OPS. A couple of people have been asking us, Scott, about Wander Franco, and I think the Rays are going to continue to be patient with him until he really, really takes off. I, I, yeah. just, I don't think this is enough for them to say, okay, we have to promote Franco because... They're okay numbers, but they're not like eye popping or anything. Like, yeah, he had, he's coming off a particularly not not exactly bad week. It's not like he's he just you know he didn't really do anything. So the batting average dropped, the OPS dropped, and I agree. Uh, well, certainly since they just called up Taylor Walls, they're going to want to see what he can do first. Um, but yeah, Franco kind of has to be you know, to, to beat the door down, you know, and he's, he's not, he's not doing that yet. I suspect he will at some point. Um, and, and I don't really think Taylor Walls is going to be the answer for the Rays at shortstop either. So there's going to be kind of the com- combination of a need there and uh, hopefully Franco getting hot. But yeah, I don't, I don't think his call his his promotion is imminent. As we've been saying for a while now, it's, Seems likely that Vidal Bruhan, who's up to nine steals, I think, in addition to seven home runs, uh, it seems likely he's going to beat Franco to the majors. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've I've pretty much shared that sentiment all along, Scott. Uh, Vidal Bruhan's already on the 40-man roster. Wander Franco is not, which they can easily manipulate that if they want Wander Franco up. But uh, Vidal Bruhan is currently up to a 321 batting average with seven home runs, nine steals, and only one caught stealing. So if you play in a 5x5 five five Roto or a head-to-head categories league, you should already be stashing Vidal Brujan. Some updates on some other pitching prospects. Twins pitcher Yoan uh, Duran, four shutout with eight strikeouts on Thursday. And Rangers first-round pick from 2018, Cole Wynn. He fired six shutout with six strikeouts on Thursday. He has a 2.08 ERA at A. The Week 10 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Lining Kugels. How does the scheduling look for next week? Well, one team has eight games. That is the Chicago White Sox. 15 teams have seven games. 13 teams have six games. And one team has five games. That is the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's get things started, Scott, with some two-start pitchers that you are looking at that are rostered in 80% or less of CBS Leagues. So this is one of those weeks where I have to, you know, not necessarily two-star pitchers, but every week I have to come up with pitchers rostered in less than 80% of leagues. So I'm giving myself a generous threshold there, 80%. Less than 80% of leagues. Pitchers rostered 10 of them that I would advise for the upcoming week. It's Even with that generous threshold, it's a daunting number. There just isn't that many bad pitchers ever worth starting. But this is one of those weeks where, like, there legitimately isn't 10. There may not even be eight, but I have a list of 10 anyway because uh, that's that's the rules I'm playing by. So it includes, and, and in the 10, I'm including Rich Hill, who's 79% rostered. I'm sure by the time this podcast is over, he probably will not be shy of the 80% threshold anymore, but whatever. I'm cheating. It's one of those weeks. <laughs> um, Rich Hill at the Yankees, at the Rangers. I mean, yeah, those matchups are fine. I, I don't think it matters anymore. He's making two starts. He's been coming off his best, the best start of his career, probably, and an amazing six-start stretch. So, obviously, you're starting him. Luis Garcia, well, that seems kind of exciting, right? Except he's facing the Red Sox and Blue Jays. That's not so great. Now, he's coming off his best start of the season, and it was against the Dodgers, so I don't know. Maybe he's just, you know, you know, he, he did it against them, so maybe he could do it against these two teams. But, you know, I, I would rather him have easier matchups. Uh, but fine, that's probably one of the better two-star pitchers you can pick up regardless, Luis Garcia. James Caprillion, okay, coming off three really good starts, right? The last one was against Seattle and and the first matchup is against Seattle. So that seems like a good thing. Second matchup's at Colorado. At Coors Field. So I'm not saying you can't start James Caprillion because of that, but not excited to. Uh, I, I also have Mike Miner here. 
you know, the whiffs have been up in those last two starts. The results have still been kind of, you know, I don't know. One of the two matches against the Pirates, other against the Twins. Merrill Kelly, seven straight starts, three earned runs or fewer for Mary Ke- Merrill Kelly. The underlying numbers aren't great. I don't feel good about him, but he is facing two bottom five offenses in terms of OPS. The Mets and the Brewers. The Mets and the Brewers. So, I mean, I'll call him a sleeper. I'm not excited about playing him, though. Uh, and then we have Garrett Richards and John Gant here, just because they're they're going to be my 10 sleeper pitchers for this week, but I don't actually want to start either of them. Garrett Richards and John Gant. They're making two starts. But they're not for me. How dare you? How dare you mm-hmm. besmirch the name of John Gant? Tell mm-hmm. if Chris was here, man, he would he would be coming for you, man. John Gant is this yeah, guy. Here's, here's the thing. Like that it's <laughs> No, we we did like a whole thing about John Gant last night about how it's crazy how long he's out how he's how long he's pitched this well considering his underlying numbers are brutal. He well, yeah, his whip is almost as high as his ERA. It's that, crazy. Yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't. There will be up. a rec. There will be a reconciliation between those two numbers soon enough. Um, you know, a high ground ball pitcher like him can have a highish whip and and still a pretty good ERA. But one fifty seven whip is absurd. It's very bad. Let me yeah. ask you about another very high ground ball pitcher, and that's Adrian Hauser who pitched five shutout with four strikeouts on Thursday against the Padres. He is slated to face the Tigers and the Diamondbacks next week. He's 20% rostered. So any interest in Adrian Hauser? Um, not really. I mean, if, if I was making the list 12 pitchers deep, he might be in it, but I don't even like the 10 I have. All right, so not a, not a ringing endorsement there for Adrian Hauser. Uh, I think in deeper leagues, you can with those matchups, Detroit and Arizona. I like that quite a bit. A fifty eight percent ground ball rate. This well, year. wait a second. Wait a second. I don't think he's actually making two starts. Sorry, um, I should have pointed that out. There were there was a lot of tweaking going on with the. You know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but um, I I think it's actually like they 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 insert they're inserting a sixth starter this weekend just for like a spot start so everybody's getting pushed back a day. So Corbin Burns is actually the Brewers two star pitcher next week. Okay. So so sorry that I was I was basing my opinion of Hauser on just assuming one start. That is good to know. Uh, well, either way, if he faces Detroit or Arizona, that's a good start, but obviously not as enticing as if he were facing both. Uh, Scott, some yeah. single start starting pitchers you like for next week. So, let me find that. Okay, here we go. Got two monitors set up here. One star pitcher. Okay, Alec Manoa. <laughs> yeah, he's already 73% rostered. Uh, so, my second favorite is Dylan Bundy because he's going against the Mariners, so he might throw a no-hitter. But, um, yeah, we'll see, how that, we'll see how his start goes this weekend because if he gets throttled again for the fourth straight start, it's going to be tough to recommend him. But I, I was surprised to see he's only 70% rostered now. I feel like uh, people gave up on him much quicker than similarly struggling pitchers. So he qualifies for this list now. And then my third favorite one-star pitcher is probably Brady Singer. But again, that's not that exciting. I mean, look what the Rays did to him today. He didn't even make it through three innings. Got throttled. He's going against Pittsburgh, though. You know, and I... I feel like he's been pretty reliable this year. I don't know. I'm not excited about it, but it's a name. Brady Singer. Yeah, he did not look great against Tampa Bay, but it is up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. A few uh, single-start pitchers that stood out to me. Adam Wainwright is going up against the Reds, who are seemingly cold now again, uh, and he has a 2.41 ERA at home. He's He's been great there. JT Brubaker, who has slowed down a little bit, but he's going up against the Miami Marlins. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't just on principle. It's burned us two, two turns in a row here. Yeah. Uh, Cody Poteet is the other name, who is a starting pitcher for the Marlins. He is at the Pittsburgh Pirates this upcoming week. Scott, who are some sleeper hitters that you like that are rostered in less than 75% of leagues. So I don't love my choices here either, but it was kind of like there were too many options because, you know, every week I pick the five best hitter matchups for team, the, the teams with the five best hitter matchups, the teams with the five worst hitter matchups. There's really only two teams with bad hitter matchups. 
obviously because there's a bunch of bad pitchers starting, right? They can't pick any good pitchers. So um, Rockies are home all week. I like CJ Crone. What week do I, do I not like CJ Crone, right? And he's only, it's been a while since he's actually had a good week, but I think this is the week he comes, he comes back, delivers numbers, big numbers. Uh, so the White Sox are playing eight games this week. They have a doubleheader. They're the only team playing eight games. I think it's a fine time to start Andrew Vaughn. I think Nick Madrigal is not actually such a bad choice either. I think he's very likely to start all eight of those games, which probably won't be the case for Vaughn. Um, and just, you know, just get a bunch of hits because there's so many games, so many opportunities for hits. He's going to pile up some hits. That's the hope anyway. I like the Twins matchups a lot. So I have Miguel Sano on here. I have Rob Snyder on here. He's just been on fire. He's only 5% rostered. I thought about going Trevor Larnick instead. So he's, you know, he'd probably be the, the 11th player in my 10 sleeper hitters. But I have Rob Snyder in here. Uh, you know, it didn't seem like he was going to be long for the role because it looked like Byron Buxton was on the, the, the road to returning. But he's had to kind of slow down his rehab. So... It looks like Ref Snyder sticking around for a while. Uh, another kind of deep pickup that we I don't think we've talked about yet, Brad Miller. For the Brad Miller's back in our lives. He's suddenly been playing every day for the Phillies and he's been hot a few home runs here in recent days. And he's a left-handed hitter. Phillies face six right-handers, or scheduled to face six right-handers this week. You know, Bryce Harper being out that that allows Brad Miller in the lineup more. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to be someone who could contribute and is widely available this week. I like obviously Garcia. He's been hot. I like Evan Longoria. He's been hot. Actually, Evan Longoria just homered for the third time in six games today. I was, um, I, was I was watching that game and they shouted out that his exit velocity is actually the third highest in baseball behind only yeah. Aaron judge and Giancarlo Stanton, which is very I'm, impressive. I'm, I'm glad you had that stat at the ready because yeah, it's it's Statcast make making Longoria out to be a stud and the numbers haven't backed it up, but he's he's getting hot. So you know, up to seven home runs now for the season. I think it's a good time to get him in your lineup. Tommy Pham's getting hot. I think he had another couple hits today, and the Padres have pretty good matchups this week. Jock Peterson, bunch of righties on the schedule for the Cubs. I've given pretty much the whole list at this point, so I should probably stop so people actually read the article. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tommy Pham, we have talked a lot about recently. He has scored a run in seven straight games. He has eight hits during that span with three steals. He's 54% rostered. Probably better in a categories league, although his plate discipline isn't bad either. So uh, seven games this upcoming week. I, I like Tommy Pham. He's, he's getting hot. And another one where the underlying numbers on StatCast are very good for Tommy Pham. The five teams with the best hitter matchups, Scott has talked about them quite a bit already, but the White Sox, the Twins, the Rockies, the A's, and the Astros, the five teams with the worst hitter matchups, the White Sox, the Twins, nope. Nope. Did I send you the same list twice? Uh, you know what? You probably did not. No, here we go. Uh, I just copy and pasted the wrong thing. The Tigers, <laughs> the Blue Jays, the Mets, the Diamondbacks, and the Braves. Those are the as, worst hitter matchups. This as I mentioned, only the Tigers and the Blue Jays matchups are that bad. The Blue Jays are playing only five games. They're the, the one team with five games, just like the White Sox are the one team with eight games. So I just want to point that out. I'm not that worried about the Mets, Diamondbacks, or Braves matchups. Mm -hmm. So there you have it, the Week 10 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Lining Kugels, and it's Memorial Day weekend, lots of baseball, and enjoying the sunshine with an ice-cold Lining Kugels Summer Shandy in my hand. It's the awesome blend of crisp beer with refreshing lemonade that fits perfectly when enjoying the sunshine and enjoying some baseball. And the Summer Shandy isn't all they offer, they also have a Session Hellas, which is which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, but it's only 99 calories. And if you're into IPAs, Kugels offers their Lemon Haze IPA, which is a well-balanced hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. So no matter what type of beverage you're craving, Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to Liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, some fantasy fun facts. We'll do it next on Fantasy Baseball Today. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Now, I will admit this first one is not very fun, but this pitcher just went off and we need to highlight him. He probably would have been an oh my goodness gracious player if he had pitched earlier, if he was on the East Coast. But uh, Chris Bassett, the fun fact is that he has now gone seven plus innings in four of his last five starts. And that includes a shutout that he just had, a complete game against the Angels. He allowed two hits, one walk with nine strikeouts, only 10 swinging strikes on 114 pitches. The swinging strikes are up a little bit this year, Scott. I kind of feel like there's still some smoke and mirrors here with Chris Bassett, but he's giving you length. He's giving you volume, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. The guy has been very good so far this season, so Chris Bassett. Yeah, you say the swinging strikes. uh, The swinging strikes were very low early in the season, so um, in the seven starts leading up to this start in which he had a 322 ERA, the the swinging strike rate was about 13%, which is... You know, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I think he's good. I think um I mean just look at the look at the numbers here. Last twenty one in twenty one starts the last two years, Bassett has a two ninety eight ERA, a one one three whip, eight point seven K per nine, and it seems like he's getting better at missing bats. So that's that's only gonna improve the the numbers overall. In fifty three starts 60 appearances, again, not counting today's. 53 starts, 60 appearances, dating back to 2018. Chris Bassett has a 336 ERA, a 118 whip, 8.6K per nine. So, and and again, I point out, he seems to be getting even better. Yeah. In terms of strikeouts, in terms of swinging strikes, I, I don't see much reason to doubt him anymore. Yeah, he's, he's rock solid. I, I don't, I wouldn't even put him in the sell high discussion unless, again, it's on that high spectrum where you're getting a really good return for him. I don't think you just try and sell him because he's hot right now. I, I, I think he's kind of legit. So, Chris Bassett, he's, he's been really good now, dating back all the way to 2018. Bo Bichette, he's also very good. He had two dingers across the doubleheader against the Yankees. And the fun fact about him, his 150-game pace right now, Scott, is 33 home runs, 21 steals, 93 RBI and a 123 runs scored for Bobachet, which is just awesome. Mm-hmm. It's great. And and you know, I tweeted that out, and a few Blue Jays fans actually responded and said that Bobachet has come out and said he ha- he doesn't even feel right at the plate yet. So <laughs> I don't know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him hit for a higher average than he has so far. His OPS actually isn't that impressive so far. I don't know. I don't have anything negative to say about him. I pointed out last week, if we were redrafting for the rest of the season, I'd take him in the second round, which is not something I was doing at you know coming into the season at the very beginning. So his his stock has gone up in my eyes. Chris Bryant went two for five with his 11th home run, so just continues to keep it up. I looked at his May splits earlier to see... I don't have Chris Bryant anywhere, so I, I don't really... It's hard for me to track every day what he's doing outside of just looking at box scores. Uh, but he's having a fantastic May. Like He's kept it up. He's followed up an awesome April with an awesome May. The fun fact about Chris Bryant is if you play on CBS starting Friday and beyond, he will have first base eligibility. He's been filling in for Anthony Rizzo the past couple of days who's dealing with a back injury. So nice little triple eligibility now from Chris Bryant. First, third, and outfield for him. Did you know... Who was the innings leader this season coming into Thursday? Hmm. Innings leader coming into Thursday. Oh, man. I feel like I, I should be able to guess that, but I'm not. I, 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 it's not like Shane Bieber, I'm sure. It's Shane Bieber now before his Thursday yeah, start. Right? right. The way you phrased it. Yep. Um, no, who's, who's the. Wait, 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 wait. Is it Kevin Gosman? It is not Kevin Gosman. Okay, who is it? It is Tyler Glass now coming into Thursday. You know, the thought came, the, the thought entered my mind, but I was like, no, no. 
it's just such an awesome turnaround. So I did want to highlight yeah. that someone that I at least had concerns about how many innings he was going to give us. He has had some injury issues in the past. Uh, he's become way more efficient. He's not walking as many batters, obviously. So Tyler Glass now had 70 innings pitched so far coming into Thursday. One out more than Trevor Bauer, who is number two on that list. Uh, but Shane Bieber is actually the player I wanted to highlight ultimately here, uh, who got back on track at the Tigers. Seven innings, one run, four walks, 12 strikeouts, 22 swinging strikes on 103 pitches. However, three-plus walks in six of 11 starts. He did that only three times in 12 starts last season. But what I really did like here, Scott, 19 first-pitch strikes to 26 batters, which had been... Uh, a, a very big issue for Shane Bieber. That's a 73% first pitch strike percentage on Thursday. Yeah, and, and you mentioned how many starts with three walks or more. This was his third start this year with four walks. It's a very high walk total. But only one hit, so you know, obviously if he does this every time, you're not going to complain about it. I wish the walks would come down. I think they will come down. Like It, it wouldn't surprise me if... Shane Bieber has a stretch of eight starts later this year where he issues one walk combined in the eight starts, you know. But clearly, there's no reason to panic with Bieber. There never was reason to panic with him. He had given up 30... How many hits was it? It was a ton of hits. 38 hits in his previous... uh, I don't know, seven starts or something? Okay. Yeah, 38 hits in his previous five starts. So, you know, more than seven hits a start. There's a couple nine hit efforts in there. That was that was weird, but I don't think we were ever really worried. And bounces back with a one hit effort. I'll be against the Tigers. You know, <laughs> there's always going to be somebody out there with the smart aleck response. I know it was against the Tigers. Okay, Scott's rants. Let's get it. it. Wasn't, it wasn't the Lakeland Tigers, so I think it's okay. <laughs> this is uh, this is we're getting ready, man. We are getting ready for. Uh, Scotty Dubs, late night Scott, just unloading on everybody because, uh, come on, man, give Shane Bieber some credit. And look, you're supposed to dominate against the bad teams, right? So are people going to use it against you when you actually do it? Like, this is what he's supposed to do. He's, he's just doing what we want him to. So don't yeah, take it. I mean, and, and the th- actually, um, like half the teams in baseball, I think, are at a place now where if, if a pitcher has a good start, at least like a third of the teams in baseball, if a pitcher has a good start, People could say, yeah, but look who he was facing. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. I mean, it's just what a lot of the league is like right now. I don't know what to tell you. And I think you could say that about the Royals because they have uh, not looked great against Tampa Bay. Um, we just saw Rich Hill go off against them, Tyler Glass now, and Shane McClanahan as well. Five shutout with six strikeouts. He had 16 swinging strikes on 63 pitches. And the fun fact for him, he has a 16.9% swinging strike rate entering this start on Thursday, which would be tied for third best among qualified starting pitchers. Had he qualified, he doesn't. But it would be tied with Tyler Glass now and Carlos Rodon. So it's frustrating. He's not going to give you Lane Scott. He has been held under 70 pitches in back-to-back starts. This is Shane McClanahan. He has not gone more than five and a third in any game this season. He's 62% rostered. I think... In Roto or Categories Leagues, you can roster him with the idea he's probably not going to give you a lot of wins, but he's going to give you really good ratios and good strikeouts. And obviously, he's a spark player in points leagues. So I think that is very helpful. This is another one, Scott, where like Dylan Cease, it's it's like a buy-high situation, but one that I, I would be trying to do. Because Shane McClanahan, I'm really impressed with what I've seen from him. In Dynasty or just in Redraft? In Dynasty. Yeah, in Dynasty, definitely. Redraft, you know, he, he's I, I've seen him dropped in some leagues just because people are disappointed in the workload. But it's three starts in a row, five innings plus. I understand the pitch counts are really low, so you know, maybe it wouldn't be five innings plus if if the, you know if he didn't keep the pitches down. But you know, I kind of wonder if they kind of extend him slowly, and maybe by August or something, he he is turning in more typical starts, uh, particularly if it's clear he's one of their best pitchers. I just want... I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen. There, There's certainly reason why they might play carefully with him all season long, but that would be nice if that happened. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. 
Yep. I'm about it. I would love to see that from Shane McClanahan. A few more here. Steven Strasburg, he allowed three runs with five strikeouts over five innings pitched. This isn't really a fun fact. This is actually kind of a scary fact, but he averaged 91.8 miles per hour on his fastball. That was 93.9 miles per hour back in 2019. So, Scott, the worryometer on a Friday for Steven Strasburg. I think probably like a six. You know, like he's he's somebody who you halfway expect to hear about an injury after every start. So it's going to take a while to regain my trust. And, and obviously he has to prove he can be effective still with that reduced velocity. I, I want to put it past him, frankly. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't... Nah, I don't want to go that far. I, I was thinking it might be an interesting buy low opportunity, but he did have to buy really low, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, there are no guarantees with Strasburg, obviously, but his value has never been lower than right now either. I don't know, just something something I might look into. The last one on the list, Reese Hoskins has seven hits, including three home runs over his last six games. And fun fact, his walk rate is 12% in the month of May. His strikeout rate is 21%, which is exactly what we wanted to see after a weird April, Scott, where he was striking out a lot and he wasn't walking. So Reese Hoskins looks like he is back to being the player that he has always been in the month of May. He's hot. So he's back. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, a few home runs here recently. So, yeah, he's, he's looking good. Just want to remind everybody again that if you have Spotify, you can listen to all of your favorite CBS Sports podcasts on there. But of course, Fantasy Baseball Today and FBT in five. So make sure to follow both of those shows on Spotify. Even if you don't use Spotify as your main source of podcast consumption, follow us anyway. It helps and we'll love you forever. Some deeper waiver options, Scott. Just tell me if you have any interest in any of these names. Uh, Willie Adamas went 4-5 for five with a home run and 4 RBI. Actually, I think it was a grand slam. That would make sense. He has 7 hits over uh, since coming over to the Brewers, 24% rostered. Jonathan Scope went 1-4 for four with his 4th home run. He has 8 hits over his last 6 games. Odubel Herrera had 2 more extra base hits. He's now batting 289 in the month of May. He's 17% rostered. And Harold Ramirez, who is probably going to play more for Cleveland now that Fran Reyes is out for as long as he is, uh, Harold Ramirez has eight hits over his last six games with a stolen base. Uh, so Adamas, Scope, Herrera, Harold Ramirez. Anything there, Scott? Deeper leagues? Uh, no, but not anybody I'm getting excited about. I mean, obviously, if you get in a deep enough league, anybody is getting regular bats matters. But beyond that... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not especially moved by any of these players. Fair enough. That's perfectly fine. Uh, some bullpen updates from Thursday. The call to the pen for the Blue Jays. Jordan Romano got his second save of the season. Rafael Dolis has not pitched since May 23rd. So cross your fingers if you held on to Jordan Romano. Hopefully they are giving him the job. And uh, he's he's been really good, so I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't. Scott, rank these relievers for me. They are rostered between 40 and 60% on CBS if you need saves. Wait, 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 wait. I don't, I don't see a, another, maybe even more notable than Romano's save in here, and that's uh, Lucas Sims for the Reds. Got a very traditional save today. After getting a one-out save, I believe it was thir- uh, Tuesday, I think it was. So Lucas Sims has gotten two saves in a row for the Reds. Tuesday was kind of a weird situation, but Thursday wasn't. It was a perfect inning. He struck out one. And those are the kinds of outings that build trust. Even if even if David Bell wasn't thinking along those lines initially, like Reds haven't known where to turn for the ninth inning for a long time now. Basically like the second week of April. Uh, I think Lucas Sims is the clear front runner now because it's there's been so it's been so long since there's been a front runner. I'm not saying you got to blow a throw a ton of fab in him. I, I would certainly like Jordan Romano more, but Lucas Sims might be him. Might be him for the Reds. Fifteen percent rostered is Lucas Sims. Scott, what should that number be by Monday? Mm, well, I mean, if Amir Garrett gets a save tomorrow, then it <laughs> changes everything. But sure. as things currently stand, I would say by Monday. 
All right, so get Lucas Sims on your team if you need saves. Obviously, things could change because it's baseball, it's bullpens, but uh, he looks like the front runner for the Cincinnati Reds. Scott, how would you rank these relievers that are rostered between 40 and 60% uh, if you need saves? Lou Trevino, Jake Diekman, Jordan Romano, Michael Fulmer, and Tyler Rogers for the Giants, not Taylor Rogers. I would go Lou Trevino, Jordan Romano, Tyler Rogers, uh, Jake Diekman, Michael Fulmer. All right. For the Yankees, Chad Green picked up his second save of the season. Apparently, Aroldis Chapman has been dealing with an illness the past couple of days. The Mets, Edwin Diaz got his ninth. The Phillies, Hector Neris got his ninth. The Nationals, Brad Hand got his eighth. I believe Kenley Jansen just got a save for the Dodgers. Yes, he picked up his 12th. And Ryan Tapera picked up his first save of the season with Craig Kimbrell being used three of the previous four days. To stream or not to stream for the weekend. Scott, starting on Friday, Casey Mize up against the Yankees. Justice Sheffield versus the Rangers. Albert Alzali versus the Reds. Randy Dobnak versus the Royals. Martin Perez versus the Marlins. And Cody Poteet at the Red Sox. Okay, well, Adbert Alzali, Casey Mize are my favorite pitchers here. Don't love either one's matchup, but I, I think I'll go with those two. Alzali and Mize, my third choice. Probably Sheffield against the Rangers. Uh, yeah, I believe someone just pitched a great game against the Rangers. Uh, Chris Flexen, seven shutout with six strikeouts. So... I don't think yeah. he's a, uh, you know not, not really a fantasy notable pitcher in Chris Flexen, but not, that's what the Rangers will do. They make um, not fantasy pitchers, fantasy viable pitchers, uh, very viable. On Saturday, we have Justin Dunn versus the Rangers, Mike Fultonevich at the Mariners, David Peterson versus the Braves, Spencer Turnbull versus the Yankees, Ross Stripling at Cleveland, and JT Brubaker versus the Rockies. That game is in Pittsburgh. Ah. <sighs> Not loving these choices for the weekend, Frank. Not great. Not loving them. Uh, so you're forcing me to pick some guys here. I will pick... I, I'll pick Brubaker. Rockies away from cores. That's always so easy, even though Brubaker's let us down. I'll pick Brubaker. I'll pick Turnbull against the Yankees, and I'll pick... Mm, Stripling at Cleveland. And it's worth noting, again, that I am forcing Scott to not like actually forcing, forcing him, but I am I am forcing him to choose three of these pitchers. That doesn't mean you have to stream those. This is just no. If you no. are desperate for he presents me with terrible options because he likes to make me look bad. <laughs> these are all the I, I only use pitchers that are rostered in less than seventy percent of leagues. So these are the best ones available. I'm sorry, Scott. Uh, for Sunday, Kwang Hyun Kim at the Diamondbacks. Matt Shoemaker versus the Royals. Tarek Skubal versus the Yankees. Kyle Freeland at the Pirates. Brad Keller at the Twins. And Jake Arrieta versus the Reds. Skubal, Keller, Kim. Let's wrap up the week with some Apple Podcast review questions. And we'll start with Hammer and Hank. Grade the trades. I gave Isaiah Kiner-Falefa for Lourdes Gurriel. How would you grade that one, Scott? I moved, I've moved Kiner Falefa up a lot, actually. So, I don't know. I think that's a C- minus for me. Ooh, all right. Second gave Giancarlo Stanton for Kyle Tucker. Stanton for Tucker. I will give... Is this a categories league? I feel like that makes a difference. But I'll give it a... B. A B. I like mm-hmm. it. This next one's from Flash8668. 10-team points league, grade the trade. I traded... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, this must have been from a while ago. Um, well, I'm sorry, Flash. You traded Chris Bassett and Emmanuel Class A for Marcelo Zuna. Had Marcelo Zuna still been healthy in a points league, I probably still would rather have Ozuna. Um, yeah. But again, that's if Ozuna was healthy. So, I'm sorry, bud. This next was from C. Sargent, 4141. Grade the trade, points league. I sent Whit Merrifield... Giancarlo Stanton, Zach Granke, and Eric Hosmer. All right, so a lot of names there. Merrifield, Stanton, Granke, and Hosmer for Bryce Harper and Cody Bellinger. I assume this was before Bryce Harper went on the IL. Even so, I think you're on the better end of the deal. Kind of depends how deep the league is, but I'm assuming it's on the shallower side. I will give it a 
Uh, B plus. B. A B. A B. This one's from yeah. Agro1974. Grade the trade. 10-team head-to-head points league. I traded Trent Grisham and Zach Greinke for Mike Trout. I have plenty of quality pitching and I'm currently in second place and figure he could help me down the stretch. He would join Juan Soto and Whit Merrifield in my outfield. Look, a 10-team points league. So you do want to consolidate your talent, Mm -hmm. but you're also trading for someone who's out until probably the All-Star break. So that's that's a little tough. Yeah, it's just... But you do want difference makers. What what a a replacement level player is in a 10-team league is so high-end, you know? Like Granky, I feel like might actually be pretty fringy in a ten-team league. Yeah, that's fair. So um, I'm behind it. I mean, if you feel like you can navigate without Grisham and Granky in the short term, I, I think uh, if you feel confident you're going to make it to the playoffs without him, I think you'll be glad you traded for Trout. So I'll the context of it, I'll give it a another uh, another B. This one's from Drew Baca, eighty-eight. When is it time to move on from Matt Chapman, Kevin Biggio, and Mike Yastrzemski in a 12-team Roto League that has three outfielders, two utility bats, and no corner infielder, and no middle infielder? Best bats available are Gio Urshela, Kyle Seeger, Keston Hiera, Garrett Cooper, and Colin Moran. Yuck. I need help in everything but stolen bases. I could also use pitching help looking at Taiwan Walker and Adbert Alzali. So drop yeah. Matt Chapman, Kevin Biscio, or Mike Yastrzemski. What do you think? In a league with so few hitter spots, I, I don't think any of them are undroppable. But you're not really dazzling me with your wafer choices here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd rather be starting Urshela than Chapman right now. But would I drop Chapman for Urshela? I think the easiest to drop is, is Yastrzemski, probably. So I, I, I assume you have... I assume you don't need your pickup to directly replace Yastrzemski in the outfield. In that case, I, I could drop Yastrzemski for Urshela. That's probably the only move I'd make, though. Some of the most added hitters on CBS right now who might be available in a league this shallow, Ian Happ, would you do? Would you drop any of them for Ian Happ, Scott? I'd be fine with it. I, I don't, three outfielder league, 12-team, three outfielder league. I'd, I'd almost go, unless I had a true stud, I'd almost go week to week with it. Yep. So, Jock Peterson could be available. He's only 40% rostered on CBS. Uh, Tommy Pham is only 52% rostered. So, those are a few names. You know, they are in Scott's sleeper hitters. Uh, refer to that list yeah. if, if you want to make well, some especially, moves there. But. Oh, I need help in everything, but stolen bases, okay. So, okay, yeah, mind. so Pham probably wouldn't be the most ideal. But uh, Jock Peterson's getting hot. He could provide you some power there. So, maybe a name mm-hmm. that you could look at. This last one's from Future Glory. Grade the trade. Head-to-head keeper points league. I traded Christian Yelich straight up for J.D. Martinez. Everyone in the league laughed at me. I also traded Joe Musgrove and John Means for Aaron Nola. What do you think of these deals? Head-to-head points, keeper league. Okay, so maybe they're thinking J.D. Martinez is old in a keeper league. Like I, I It does make a difference to me whether it's 10-plus keepers or 5-minus keepers, you know? Yeah, they didn't say. Yeah, um, but I, I'm assuming you know most keeper leagues are just a handful of keepers, and yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you should have to suffer through this year of Yelich because you know you're not married to him in a league where there's that much roster turnover. I'm good with it. Yelich for Martinez, certainly in a redraft league, a pure redraft league, I'd be thrilled to do that at this point. And just I wash agree. my hands of Yelich for an outfield stud like that. Musgrove means for Aaron Nola. Well, the best keeper of the three is Nola. feel pretty confident in that. So from that standpoint, for, for just this year, it's, it's, it's pretty pricey. I don't know that I'd do it in a, in a redraft league, but if you're consolidating to, to, to get you know two kind of fringy keepers for one great keeper, I, I understand that. That's what I'd say. End of, end of analysis. Yeah. All right, Future Glory, go back to your league and you laugh at them because Scott White likes the deals. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, what are we getting here? I can't find the button. <laughs> <laughs> who's the who's the one laughing now? You are. 
You realize that the voice changer isn't on, right, Scott? No, really? <laughs> so, you, so you just did it in, in like a Scott mocking a voice changer voice, but it actually wasn't the voice changer. Is, is it, it working now? now? Yes, it is. Are we good now? Am I scary? Am I scared you, Frank? Uh, you are not, but I appreciate it, man. Uh, that's it. Scott After Dark. We got to wrap up. It's been a long week, as you can tell here on the podcast. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Have a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Bye-bye. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.